Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Unfolded Hearts Talk, a production of Unfolded Hearts Ministries, a nonprofit organization of biblical counsel and spiritual formation, a ministry dedicated to equipping, encouraging, and teaching. You can find us on the web at www.unfoldedhearts.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Deborah Somjak, your host from Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to be talking about myths and traditions that have developed concerning the meaning of the Christmas. So most of these traditions develop from songwriters where they try to elaborate on the story. And while that might not be wrong in and of itself, these embellishments have become ingrained in our minds. So it's important to remind ourselves, and which we'll be doing this morning, what the Bible actually records in what is merely speculation. And today's guest in helping us to do that is Adam Lloyd Johnson. He serves as a campus missionary with Rachio Christie, and he also teaches philosophy at the theologic seminaries in Germany. And Adam is a PhD candidate at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Having worked in the fields of actual science for 10 years after college, he then served as a pastor for eight years. And while in his 20s, he went through a crisis of faith, stating, are there any good reasons and evidence to believe God exists and that the Bible is from him? In his search for answers, it led him to apologetics and propelled him into a ministry with a passion to serve and share what God has allowed him to learn. And he desires to share um, with others by equipping Christians and reaching the lost for Christ. Well, good morning, Adam. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to uh, be able to have this conversation and be on your program. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, uh, I'm excited to talk about this because I think a lot of people, um, you know, when we listen to songs on the radio and there's so many, you know, the Life Channel has so many Christmas story movies that just (laughs) um, pull on our hearts and, um, you know, do pull on traditions and sometimes myths. So I think this is really good to talk about this. And I'm excited to hear, um, you know, how you want to share this with us. And also, I don't know if we want to even start, I think for most listeners and most people, um, you know, it's the notorious three wise men (laughs) that seems to get talked about the most. So I don't even know if you want to start there or however you want to um, jump in. We just love to hear. We certainly can. And you're right. In your your introduction, you uh, hit the nail on the head. And it's, you know, a lot of um, poets, story writers, uh, songwriters have, you know, wanted to tell the Christmas story in a very beautiful way, a very, um, you know, God-honoring way, in a very um, uh, way where your emotions get involved and you really feel um, there, you've, you're with the characters. I mean, great storytellers do those sort of things. And so, in that sense, I don't see anything, you know, incredibly wrong with you know, filling in some of the details when you tell a story. Um, I think of like the Nativity story, the movie that they recently put together about Jesus' birth, or like Mel Gibson's The Passion. I mean, when you tell a story like that, of course you've got to, 
you've got to fill in some of the details because the Bible doesn't give um, all that many details, especially about Christ's birth. And so when, you know, um, folks have written hymns or Christmas songs, you know, they might um, fill in some of the details that we just don't know. But what happens, as you mentioned, is that we we hear those songs so often, and then they, they get incorporated into our Christmas plays and our Christmas pageants, and we start thinking that those, you know, additional details that were added are um, actual gospel truth. And so that's why we just have to do a little bit of demarcation. We have to we have to compare what the Bible actually says to, you know, maybe some of the traditions that we've developed. One of those being, as you mentioned, um, the idea that there were three wise men or three kings that vi- that visited Jesus when he was born. Yeah, can you break down some of those? Go ahead and just throw um, those out because I think they're the most common um, that people have, and we don't know how to do that on our own, if you will. Yeah, so for instance, um, we do know from the Bible that there were three, I'm sorry, that there were wise men, or the Bible calls them magi, who came from the east um, looking for the the king of the Jews. And we know from Scripture that they um, went and visited Herod, and Herod, you know, asked them questions. Herod tried to figure out what they were doing, why they were there, so on and so forth. But we've developed um, a tradition of thinking of them as kings and thinking that there were three of them. Now, there might have been three of them. Um, there might have been more. The the scripture talks about them um, in the plural, so we know there had to be at least two. So there might have been two, there might have been three, there might have been 20. We don't know the exact um, number of magi or wise men, and we don't know much about their background. Um, there's a lot of um, historical work that has been done to try to understand uh, these wise men and, and their background. Um, I wrote an article a few years back about uh, the Magi, and how they might have been part of the Zoroastrian um, religion, the Zoroastrian faith. And so they were looking at the stars. They were looking, um, you know, we would call them astrologers even. And possibly, again, we don't know, but speculation, possibly some of their information came from uh, Daniel, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, when he spent so much time in Babylon, and maybe that's how they knew to look for this particular star. Uh, we just don't know. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of um, what ifs. But mm-hmm. the tradition, you know, has developed that there were three of them because, um, you know, the Bible says that when they arrived, they gave Jesus and his parents uh, gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there were, the Bible describes three different types of gifts, and I think, you know, that's just why the tradition developed that there were three of them. But again, there could have been more, and Mm -hmm. could have been, you know, like four of them gave Jesus and his family gold, five of them gave him frankincense. We just don't know the exact number. Right, right. Okay, and do you have any um, insights on what those gifts um, you know, them bringing those particular gifts? 
No, I mean, it seems to be, you know, part of that culture um, to honor um, somebody of great importance, to, you know, give them gifts, and especially, um, you know, if they were viewing this person to be the king of the Jews, they would want to, to honor him with these with these gifts. So it was almost a way of, of paying homage. And of course, that's where, you know, our tradition has developed now in terms of yeah. um, gift giving in, in the Christian tradition. So it's, again, I don't have, I don't think it's a huge thing to worry about or mm-hmm. um, I don't think it does a lot of harm to our faith or um, Christianity to speculate that there might have been three or have, you know, three wise men in our Christmas plays and such. We just need to be careful um, and remind ourselves so we don't we don't portray um, an embellished story. Because as you know, there's a lot of folks that that aren't Christians, and if we if we're not careful um, when we tell people about our faith, if we embellish it too much, if we add all of these um, extra things to it and almost make it um some of it fantastical and then you know as we're trying to talk to non-christians and encourage them to consider christianity and they find out a lot of these things that we've been saying um we've just made up over the years we've we've just incorporated them into our tradition you know i think they would rightly be able to push back against us and say well okay these things were made up how do you know the what hasn't been been made up and what is actually true, what actually historically happened. So in our own minds, I think we need to be clear on that. So then we, when we have opportunities to to really have serious conversations with non-Christians and explain our faith to them, we can, we can show them, no, you know, some of those things have developed from song and, and maybe even legends and stuff, but here's what we know for sure. Here's what the Bible says about um, Jesus' birth. And this is what we put our faith in. You know, the Bible has to be considered our ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And how it, that's good that you talk about that. And I think it's good that Christians know it's okay to say, I don't know that answer or I don't have that, you know, historically we don't know. Or, or even crossing the culture when you were saying about the gifts, you know, there are things um, – Maybe that, um, you know, that bridge of crossing the culture in Scripture when we read it on this side of, you know, the earth than when it happened during that time, you know. And and not all of us, including myself, know all of those things. And I think it's okay um, when we're sharing with someone that we tell them, I don't know that answer, but we could find out together. Or, you know, that's a good question, you know. Um, I'll try to find that answer for you because otherwise, if we don't, like you're saying, it kind of puts it um, in the perspective of the same thing as Santa Claus, if you will. <laughs> like you learn, um, you know, that that was embellished and that's not true. So then how does this fit with Jesus, you know? So could you share with us and the listeners maybe how, how would you do that? Like when you're talking about the, um, the traditions as far as scripture, um, and Jesus' birth and his coming, and not even just, um, I, I mean, when we are those that um, do have faith um, in Jesus and, you know, have come to the understanding of the saving knowledge of Jesus on the cross and his life story, but looking at the Christmas story um, 
and how that fits together and why he even came. How would you tell that story? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, it's interesting that, and I just read through it again this morning as part of my devotions. I read through, you know, the first um, part of Matthew and then Luke, just to refresh in my mind what the what the Christmas story is uh, in the Scripture. And yeah, I think it's important um, to to consider why God sent Jesus. You know, it's interesting. There's not much, there aren't many details about his birth. You know, we have the interaction of um, the angel with Mary and then with Joseph and Elizabeth. And then we have a little bit of details about, you know, his, um, obviously his miraculous conception and the, the womb of a virgin. And then we have a little bit about his birth. We know it happened in, in Bethlehem. We know that um, shepherds in the area were um, told about it, and they came and visited. The wise men, we don't know if they came at his birth. There's some uh, Bible scholars who have looked at the text, looked at the Greek text, and, and said you know, it might have been even up to a year or two later that the wise mm-hmm. men came. So we don't know. Um, there's a lot of details that we just don't know. And the Bible doesn't put as much emphasis on his birth as it does on his death. I mean, the vast majority of what we have about Jesus in the scriptures is about his three years of ministry, and of course, that especially that final week of his life where he suffered and died for us on the cross. That's where the focus is. That's where... All four of the gospel writers really place the emphasis. And so you have to wonder, you know, as we think through, I think it makes very much sense for us as Christians to to also focus, you know, our time and our resources and our thought and our prayers and our consideration on what the Bible um, spends the most time on. And so you just have to wonder, you know, why did God uh, send uh, Jesus? Why 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 was why did Jesus ever come in the first place? So we celebrate it. It's a wonderful uh, thing that we celebrate it. You know, December 25th is another one of those things where we just don't know exactly when Jesus was born. Um, but during the course of church history, the the church decided, you know, let's let's pull out December 25th and celebrate it on that day. But we're not for sure, you know, if he was actually born on that day or not. Most Bible historians, most Bible scholars would say um, the month of September is more likely is when he was born. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. That's a good um I, I like the way that you drew all of that out. So, um so for those that are listening that may um, are trying to fit together what you just said as far as the birth up into um, his ministry, his final week, and his death is more where um, the bulk of Scripture um, talks about and teaches us. So if he came um, as a child and birth uh, like the Savior of humanity, um, mm. why, why, why do you – I mean, let's um, – maybe unpack a little bit why he chose to come that way. Yeah. 
No, that's a great question. Well, the Bible talks in the book of Hebrews about, you know, we believe as Christians that Jesus was uh, fully God, 100% God, and also 100% human, 100% man. So it's not as though he was 50-50. He was 100%, 100%. He was both God and man. And one thing that we can, um, one of the reasons we celebrate this and, and we're so thankful um, that we have a Savior, we have a God who is willing to become one of us. I mean, that's one of the, the huge things that we celebrate at Christmas is the fact that God became a man. You know, why would he do that? Why would he want to do that? Mm-hmm. And if you read through the book of Hebrews um, in the New Testament, it's so encouraging to see that he became uh, one of us so that... Um, he could die for us, and he could relate to us, and we could relate to him. I mean, if you think about it, God is is so vastly different uh, than us. I mean, he's personal. I believe that God is a is a person like we are, an infinite person, but a person with a personality, so to speak, but still mm-hmm. a vast, infinite being. And so to become a man and become one of us, the Bible talks in Hebrews about how he became one of us, and that gives us that much more confidence to um, take our request to him, take our guilt to him, take our uh, suffering to him, because he knows what it's like. I mean, he has experienced what it's like to be hungry, to lose a loved one. I think about you know when Jesus lost his um, friend Lazarus, and Jesus was angry. The Bible says we always talk about the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, uh, but the Bible mm-hmm. goes on to explain there that not only did Jesus weep at the death of his friend Lazarus, but that he was angry and he was frustrated at death. And so we have a high priest, we have a savior, so to speak, that we can go to who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to be betrayed. Um, by his friends. He knows what it's like to be lonely. And so it's just um, a huge blessing to have a Savior like that who knows the human condition. It reminds me of a quote. Um, The theologian John Stott said that he, he would have a hard time believing in a God who didn't know what it was like to suffer. And so you think about, you know, one of the things that we and, and other, even non-Christians struggle with, and we as Christians struggle with it too, is why why suffering? Why would God allow suffering? Why would God allow my uh, son to pass away at such an early age or to get hurt or for me to get hurt by my friends? You know, why does God allow these things? And it can be really troubling sometimes to us as Christians. But to think of, you know, how God stepped into human history and suffered on our behalf, suffered for us. It's just a beautiful thing. And so it gives us that confidence and love for God to have stepped in and experienced suffering and, in fact, take the suffering that we deserved on his on His shoulders. If I may, I'd like to elaborate a little bit um, on a concern I have, uh, 
Did you have yeah, any more questions? Please. No, please go ahead. No, yes, go ahead. Well, I, like I've been trying to say, I'm not too concerned about you know some of the songs and some of the traditions that we've developed. Um, just trying to fill in some of the details of the Christmas story. I, I don't. Many of them are harmless. I don't. I'm not. You know, bothered by them. I don't think it's something that we should worry about or be too concerned about. We just need to have that mm-hmm. demarcation in our mind of what what has been um, embellished and what traditions have developed versus what the scripture says. That's that's all I'm I'm trying to say this morning. Yeah. One of my favorite yes, books um, out there is a book by uh, his name is Paul Meyer, and uh, Paul Meyer is a professional historian. He was um, a professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University. So he was a Christian, very well-known historian professor in Michigan. And uh, he was a Christian. And he wrote a book about Pontius Pilate. And your your listeners can find it on Amazon. They might want to even purchase it as a, a Christmas present to... Uh, for someone this year, but the book is called Pontius Pilate, and it's a he calls it historical fiction. So here's a professional historian who has you know done his homework, and he's studied everything there is to know about Pontius Pilate, and then wrote a a novel that's fiction. It's a fiction novel where he you know adds some details, but it's um, you know, as much as he can, he started with the historical basis and then maybe tried to fill in some of the details. But he's very clear mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of these conversations, it's written as a very beautiful story. You know, there's speculation that Pontius Pilate and his wife um, became Christians uh, later in life. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend that book. But again, just an example of how you can take what we do know from history and maybe fill in some of the details to tell a to tell a story, as long as you're clear when you do that, that yes, you are filling in some of the details that we are that we don't know for sure. So here's my major concern. Let me segue now to what concerns me more, mm-hmm. and that's that's some myths and some, I guess you could call them legends, some uh, some traditions that have developed. Uh, that do concern me. So some of the th- one, the major thing that I'm concerned about is I want people to understand how they can have a relationship with God, how they can go to heaven. I mean, we talk about going to heaven when we die, but really what we're talking about when we say that is, you know, what we want folks to have a relationship with God that lasts forever. I mean, that's what heaven is. The reason that heaven mm-hmm. is such a great place is that it's we will be communing with God and each other for all eternity. So there's been, you know, traditions and misconceptions that have developed about how to have a relationship with God or how to uh, get to heaven, how to go to heaven when you die. And those misconceptions are the ones that really concern me. Those are the ones that worry me. I'll just share from my from my own experience, my own life. So when I was oh when I was about 17 years old somebody sat down with me and they said um Adam if you were standing before God right now and he said why should I let you into heaven what would you say 
And I would just challenge your your listeners to think through that too for a moment. What would you, what would you say if God asked you that question? Why should God let you into heaven? What would you say to that? Well, when I was 17 years old, I had a misconception about that. I was I had um, bought into a tradition that wasn't true. I told the person when they asked me that question, I told them that I was going to heaven because I was a pretty good person. I haven't I hadn't done anything too bad. I tried to be nice to others. I tried to keep the 10 commandments as best I could. And I thought I was going to heaven because of what I did. I was I thought that I could get to heaven um because of my good works. And I'm so thankful that this person sat down with me and shared this with me because then they opened up their Bible and showed me that I was trusting in the wrong thing. I had bought into this tradition, myth, whatever you want to call it. I knew about Mm -hmm. Jesus. I knew about, obviously, God and the Bible. Jesus died on the cross. But I didn't understand um, how to have that relationship with God. And so they explained to me that um, if a person would try to get to heaven on their own, if they would want to get to heaven based on what they've done, they would have to be perfect. They showed from to me from Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, if you want to go to heaven um, based on your good works, what you can do to get there, you have to be perfect. And that frustrated me because I, I, I recognized even by the age of 17 that I wasn't perfect, that nobody was perfect. And the person said, exactly. That's the whole point. None of us are perfect, and that's why God sent Jesus Christ to be that, um, to live, first of all, that perfect life that we couldn't, and then to die on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. So he died on the cross, fully God, fully man, to take the punishment, the penalty that we deserved, And then they went on to explain, that's what you need to trust in. So again, I knew about God, I knew about the Bible, I knew about Jesus and the cross, but they explained to me that my, what I had been trusting in, what I had put my faith in, was the wrong thing. I was trusting in myself to get to heaven. I was trusting in in what I could do to have that relationship with God. And they said, no, you're trusting in the wrong thing, that's not going to work. Um, The Bible asks you to trust in what he did for you. They went on to explain that salvation, having a relationship with God, going to heaven, all of that is a free gift of God that we receive by faith. When we put our trust in him instead of ourselves, that's how a person becomes a Christian. That's how a person starts a relationship with God that then lasts for all eternity in what we you know, refer to as heaven. So that's the conception that I want to talk to people about this Christmas. You know, these songs mm-hmm. and these traditions and pageants, you know, those are little things we just need to keep in mind. But this is the true message of Christmas, and this is what I, I want folks to understand and, and not be confused about. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's definitely a gift, isn't it? That's the true gift. Most definitely. Yes. And how do you think people, um, because I know some people, um, 
Um, some people I know that are hurting personally in the sense of grieving a loved one during this time and, you know, um, just feeling that loss and that grief and, you know, and for some loneliness because it may have been a spouse yeah. that they lost. And then also um, some people um, in receiving what Christ did for them, I know sometimes the some of it, I know there can be different hindrances or barriers for for different people, but sometimes it's this um, thing of just forgiving themselves or actually just coming to the point where they receive what mm. Christ did for them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you bring up a lot of difficulties. You're exactly right. I mean, this, um, I'll, I'll say the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, all of this this time of the year can be very, very difficult for some folks. And I, my heart goes out to them. Um, you know, and that's a that's a very large issue. Um, you know, I would just direct people, obviously, to God and their fellowship with Him, and like I mentioned earlier, the fact that He knows what it's like to to suffer. He knows what it's like to be lonely, to lose a loved one, to you know. I always go back, especially at funerals, when I have you know the opportunity to to speak at funerals. I share how. You know, when Jesus was angry and wept and cried out when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus was able to be angry, to hate death, out being angry and hating himself, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, as God. Mm -hmm. So in other Mm -hmm. words, he was able to hate death, to hate evil, to hate suffering without hating God. So you can be angry. In other words, I'm trying to give us, me, all of us freedom to hate death, to hate evil, to hate suffering, to hate sin, to be angry at all those things, and yet not being angry at God. You can do that. Jesus Jesus was a, you know, a perfect example of that. So there is you know, a place for righteous anger. There is a place to be angry at sin and death without letting that anger be directed towards God. You know, it opens up a large conversation about why God allows evil, why God allows suffering. Uh, Very difficult uh, topic, but it's something that we need to think through and really pray through and seek God for answers in. But let let me turn to the second part of your question now. Yeah. And that was, uh, remind me, I'm sorry. Um, some people have, just have a hard time either, you know, they'll say the words of forgiving themselves, but actually receiving um, yes. what it is that Christ did for them. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I had that answer in the back of my head, but then I forgot the question. No, that's so okay. <laughs> my my recommendation for anybody in this situation, and, and it's not because it not only applies to, you know, somebody struggling with um shame or guilt that they've been forgiven for, but it can be any situation, you know, any situation where they've got these uh, feelings or emotions that just aren't true. I mean, we're emotional beings, uh, we we have these feelings, and feelings are notoriously unreliable. I mean, we, (laughs) you know, as you know, our feelings can ebb and flow based on our circumstances, what we had for supper last night, how much sleep we got, you know, that 
Feelings are wonderful. Emotions are beautiful things that God has given us, but we don't want to we don't want to consider them gospel truth. We don't want to rely too much on them as giving us accurate information. So, you know, when we have these emotions, whether they be shame or guilt or anything, you know, anxiety, depression, worries, you know, whatever it is, you know, my encouragement to folks is to combat those feelings, that those feelings that aren't true with the truth. And so, you know, my you know, when I'm counseling somebody, my my number one advice to them, whatever they're struggling with, and what you mentioned was shame and guilt, um mm-hmm. forgiving themselves, so to speak, my encouragement to them is to consistently and discipline in a discipline sense, you know, a daily basis, an hourly basis if need be, tell themselves the truth. Sometimes we have to fight against our feelings, fight against our emotions with the truth. When I when I say the truth, I'm primarily talking about God's word. So when mm-hmm. somebody's struggling with that, having a hard time with, you know, shame and guilt, you know, and Satan is the accuser, you know, Satan is going to you know, whisper in our ear, so to speak, and 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 cause us to still have these sort of feelings of guilt and shame and but if we're forgiven um as Christians, you know, we want to take God's word and constantly remind ourselves what God has told us. And we can be confident in that truth, that we are forgiven. That it doesn't matter as much as what we think. What matters is what God thinks. And when he says that your sin is as far from the east as from the west, we just need to constantly tell us, tell ourselves that, that Jesus paid for our sin God loves us and forgives us through Christ, and to be consistently telling ourselves that and fighting sometimes our emotions and our feelings when they creep up and want us to, you know, believe lives. So th- that's the advice yeah. that I give folks. Yeah, that's good. And I think um, another way I know I'm just saying what you just said, just in a different way for our listeners, is is that it's actually just receiving. Um, the truth of what God did for you, because we don't find, um, and sometimes I'll tell um, um, some of the people I counsel with, um, that we don't find in Scripture theologically an example for forgiving ourselves. Exactly. I mean, not, not theologically, we don't. It is actually just coming to the point where you receive it, even through your guilt and your you know, unworthiness, as he yet still did it for you. So, yeah. um, and just to receive that. So I just want to encourage our listeners in that way, just kind of grab their heart there. And I'm going to have Adam pray for us um, as we're ending. I know you have one more thought there, so go ahead and share that. I was going to say briefly, you know, there are some times where we have, you know, feelings of guilt and shame, which are true. You know, even as Christians, we mess up, we sin, we make mistakes. And, you know, we have a conscience that, tells us those things and so sometimes you know we're experiencing guilt or shame and we should and those and those are times where we should go and confess it but then that's what we do we repent we look to god to give us strength to change our ways and then lay them at his feet and move on walking by the spirit so we don't carry out the desires of the flesh but yeah i'd love to pray Mm -hmm. for for us Yes, and before Heavenly we Father, do that, before we end in prayer, oh, oh, sorry, one second. I just want to, if you could just share a little bit, um, mention your ministry name again before uh, we end in prayer, Adam, and then any um, contact information that you want to give to our listeners that they might want to contact you or follow up or 
Or, you know, after Adam prays, if you've prayed that prayer, you're welcome to contact Unfolded Hearts Ministries on our webpage and do a contact. We'd love to pray with you or get any follow-up information that you may need of. Or you can contact Adam directly. We'd love to hear from you. Or any, um, you know, again, just, you know, pursuing his ministry maybe a little bit more. Or if you have another topic, maybe you would like Adam to a suggestion you'd like him to come back and discuss on Unfolded Hearts Talk, we would certainly welcome your suggestions. So Adam, tell them, again, just remind them, make sure that I pronounced your ministry, your campus ministry correctly, and how the listeners can contact you. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. So I just yeah. recently um, joined a missionary organization called Ratio Christi, and it's a campus apologetics ministry. So Ratio Christi has been around um, for less than 10 years. It's, it's a relatively new missionary organization, and its passion, and my passion is why I joined them, is to um, help Christian students who, when they go to college, uh, struggle with their faith. We're really burdened by the fact that over half of Christian students, when they go to college or university, walk away from their faith. And so we want to be on campus and uh, serving Christians, helping folks when they struggle with their faith, and reaching out to non-Christians on campus as well. So it's called Ratio Christi. I'm going to serve at the University of Nebraska and uh, the University of Bonn in Germany for about three months a year. Every year we'll spend in Germany at the University of Bonn. So my contact mm-hmm. information, if folks want to get a hold of me, learn more about the ministry, anything I can do to help or serve, or if they didn't want to have me speak to their group or church, is uh, my email address is the best way to get a hold of me, and that's Adam Johnson at RoshioChristi.org, Adam Johnson at RoshioChristi.org, and Roshio Christi is R-A-T-I-O-C-H-R-I-S-T-I. Beautiful. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, listeners, for joining us today. We're going to go ahead. Adam is going to go ahead and have you pray. Um, however, the Holy Spirit would have you, and for our listeners. Yes, thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to um, have this discussion, have this conversation, and really just think for a few moments about your word. And I pray for us and uh, those who are listening that uh, we would make this Christmas about you and your word, that uh, as families, as churches, that we would read the Christmas story, that we would you know, enjoy this time with family um, giving gifts, being blessing, being a blessing to one another, but that we would keep you as the focal point. Lord, we're so thankful to have a God who who loves us in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our sin, in spite of the mistakes that we make. You continue to love us, and you've provided a way, Lord, for us to be forgiven and to have that relationship with you. So we're thankful for sending your Son, Jesus, um, the God-man, to die on the cross for our sins, to experience humanity, to live that perfect life that we couldn't, and then to die on the cross for our sins. I pray, Lord, for anybody who might be listening who who hasn't made that decision of trust yet, who might be trusting in the wrong thing, who may be thinking that they can be right with God through their own works or through their own ability to be good. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would use your word and your spirit to convict them and help them understand that you've done all the work that you offer salvation, that you offer heaven as a free gift that we receive by faith 
when we trust in you as our Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam, so much for being here. You are just a treasure of um, you know bringing out the treasures in God's Word of the old and the new and putting them together to be such a blessing um, to our listeners today. So thank you. Thank you so much for um, dedicating your time um, with us here and being with us this morning at Unfolded Hearts Talk. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yes, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. May you have a Merry Christmas, and just remember uh, Christ, um, you know, Christmas begins with Christ, and and I pray that you find rest um, in your Christmas and knowing and finding Christ in your Christmas and that he as well would prevail in your new year. Bless you, and Merry Christmas, everyone.